Hey everyone, welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. Today, on episode 193, we are covering Sixth of the Dusk by Brandon Sanderson. I am your host, Drew McCaffrey, and joining me is my awesome wife and fellow Sanderson beta reader, Lauren. Cheers, guys! <laughs> Before we head into the episode itself, just a quick reminder that we're on Patreon. Support for the show there helps keep the lights on and gives you access to all kinds of fun bonus content, such as exclusive episodes, original fiction, and much more. Now, uh, I normally do a big summary here uh, before we dive into the style, but this is such a short story. I mean, it's properly a novella by word count, uh, but it is definitely on the shorter end of novellas. So I'm, you know, not going to spend spend any time on a summary it's it's really just like a couple of scenes similarly at the end of this episode we're not going to do our typical three favorite scenes since there's really only like three scenes in the book (laughs) uh but diving right into style on this one uh this is a really a different sort of story in large part because there isn't as much dialogue um sixth himself is not a very social person and for most of the first probably half of this story he doesn't talk at all he has some internal you know thoughts and things but he doesn't speak out loud he doesn't converse with another character until he meets Vathi a pretty pretty good way in um and that's a tough thing to do as a writer I know for myself my own style is very dialogue driven I don't tend to spend a bunch of time on, you know, setting descriptions or characters ruminating about, you know, the facts of life or philosophy or anything like that. And that's really what the bulk of this is. You know, it's setting the scene of the Pantheon. It's immersing us in this weird world First of the Sun is the name of the planet. And it's sixth thinking about what life is like as a trapper and and this pseudo-religious relationship he has with the islands and with Pat G and how he survives with this deep connection and understanding of the wildlife around him. Yeah, honestly, I I love that he's exploring some of these I don't know, more, um, I can't say more unique. So (laughs) (laughs) he says he's inspired by some of the island cultures and he wanted to Mm -hmm. explore what it would be like to write from a perspective like Sixth of the Dusks, you know? Yeah. And and you're right. It is different having a character who's not. He's interacting with animals only. So when you were reading this, did you notice? Did it stand out to you that there wasn't as much dialogue? Nope. Not at all. See, I. It it stood out to me, but only because. I, you know, like I am a writer and I'm, and I'm thinking about it in this way. And this story in particular, I was primed to think about that way because it was originally released as part of a, um, I think it was called Shadows Beneath. It was, it was kind of a fun little, um, anthology from Writing Excuses, his, uh, writing podcast. And 
and the different authors who had stories in it provided like rough drafts and commentary on how they wrote their stories. And so with this one, you know, like knowing that it was released in that context, I was prepared to think about it that way. But, you know, when I reread it now, if I'm not actively thinking about it, you don't notice, you know, that so much of it is just driven by uh, Sixth's attitude and voice internally. And I kind of like that. It's impressive. It shows uh, flexibility, versatility on the part of Sanderson as a writer. Like, I tend to maybe be a little uncharitable towards Sanderson sometimes where I... About what specifically? Just that I feel like he's gotten into a very formulaic way of approaching stories. Mm. Um, and, and that's not wrong. Like, he definitely has done that. But I'm grateful for these little reminders that every once in a while he does something different as if to say look, I'm aware of what I'm doing with my books and I want to prove to you that I can do something different. You know, it's, I've, I've said it before and I, the more I think about it, the more I engage with the idea, it becomes even more solidified that Brandon Sanderson and Glenn Cook are just polar opposites as writers mm-hmm. where, and, and this is another example of it, where Brandon writes the same kind of story over and over and over again, and then sprinkles in different things that feel really off the wall or, you know, where he's like, I need to, you know, stretch my creative muscles a little bit and write something different. Whereas Glenn Cook, uh, I've read from four different series by him, as well as a couple of, you know, standalone things. And it feels like, he just always writes different styles. The most similar of his things, I would say, in like voice and style are the Garrett books with the first couple of Black Company books. But like even in the Black Company, those books, as the series goes on, are effortlessly different from each other in voice and in writing style. And and with Brandon, it doesn't feel effortless. It feels deliberate. Like I am doing this to prove a point. And six of the dusk is one of those things. Uh, there, you know, the, the secret projects as well, you know, he coming out in a, a couple of months, you know, they, he's writing them purposely to explore different things. But like, you know, that's good. That's good that he's doing that. It, he has figured out a very effective, very profitable way to write fantasy novels. And it would be easy for him to just keep doing that over and over and over again and not ever changing it up because, you know, they make him tons of money, obviously. <laughs> uh, they, they get him to the top of the bestseller list every time he releases a new Stormlight book or Mistborn book or whatever. Right. And... Okay, so the authors who do that, who take this route, who just release the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again, half of them eventually find other people to write those for them. Yeah. They're no longer energized by it. 
And I think it's worth pointing out that Brandon Sanderson over the last couple of years has more and more been doing collaborations and letting other writers write in his universes. He had Jancy Patterson write the Skyward novellas. He's bringing in Dan Wells to do Cosmere books now. Like, But he's not doing the serial, what I'm talking about, where like it's the same story with the same character doing the same, progressing the same. Oh, you're talking about line. like, you know, Agatha Christie type things or James Patterson, that sort of thing. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. But so bringing it back to sixth, this is in, in structure, in some ways, it is similar to what Brandon likes to do, uh, where there's a mystery around the magic and, it's about the character unlocking something, finding some way to use the magic in an unconventional way to solve their problems. And, and we get that, you know, where he, he figures out with Pat G's finger, you know, we're, we're on this Island where everything hunts with their minds. And there's this flower that calls predators. And he's like, okay, so I'm going to throw this, and that will call away the night moths before they find us. Well, he didn't think of it. She did. Right, she did. But it's it's that that unlocking a previously unheard of use of the magic system to solve the problem. Uh, that's a very Sanderson thing to do. But on the other hand, what's not a very Sanderson thing to do is the way this ends. Where it's just this really melancholy tone... Where, like, mm. we we get the reveal of what his name really means. He wasn't born at dusk. He was born at a time that his mother saw the twilight of their culture arriving. And he accepts at the end. It may not even be that she saw it coming. It may be that I am the one who's going to bring it. And he steps into that fortress. I think that's a great, really powerful moment to end a short novella on. Honestly, like, so as as the zoology major, I was totally entrapped <laughs> by the ecosystems here. Yeah. And how we have the whole thing evolving around Psychic abilities. That's insane. So it That's... reminded me a great deal of um, the Thrawn trilogy in Star Wars uh, and the Isalamiri and the Vornskers, where there are Force-sensitive predators oh, on yeah. the planet Merkur, and uh, and then there are their natural prey have evolved to develop a force null around themselves so that the, yeah, the, the, the force sensitive predators can't sense them. And then there's a side effect of course, and people in star Wars use them to neutralize Jedi, you know, neutralize force users because they have this bubble, the, this is bubble. Um, so it was a really similar thing here. Like, uh, in my mind, night maws look like Vornskers from, from star Wars. Okay, we haven't read that where I've seen Vorinskers. Uh, yeah, so that that's in the Thrawn trilogy. Um, I could I'll show you on Wikipedia what Vorinskers look like at some point, but but yeah, so like 
They're the, scary. The uh, the whole setting for this is awesome. Like I am a sucker for island themed like tropical settings and stories. Like I I'm a beach person in general. Like if I'm going to go on <laughs> vacation, I want to go to a beach. I want to go to an island like that. Um like Hawaii is one of my favorite places on earth. Uh and and so on top of that, so many fantasy books over the years have been set in what is essentially a medieval Europe analog. Sometimes Eastern Asia. Very rarely Africa. Very rarely, you know, like a South America kind of feel, like a jungle feel. Even more rarely, tropical islands. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and in, in recent years, we've started to get more diversity in setting, but... It, it really was a long time. So much of fantasy was inspired by Lord of the Rings, which is in essentially a Europe analog. And, you know, you think to some of the other big ones, Westeros, European analog, the wheel of time, Randland, European analog. Like it's, you just don't see these really colorful, vibrant, foreign settings very often. Uh, and yeah, part of that is a lot of the most popular science fiction fantasy, especially fantasy, uh, is written by authors from the U.S. or the U.K. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so there are just a lot of things converging, uh, style, ideas, plot, character, and uh, that I really like. And the result is maybe my favorite at worst my second favorite shorter cosmere work yeah i i love this one yeah oh uh but characters as i briefly mentioned there there are really only two uh, there's uh, a sixth cokerly and sack drew <laughs> so not characters they're characters they're psychic and intelligent. They don't have personality. They do have personality. <laughs> they don't have character arcs. You know, I'll give you that one. <laughs> uh, but yes, we have Sixth and we have Vapi. And I like both of them a great deal. They're very different people, but they're both a lot of fun. Vapi is like, I I don't know. I, I think it's interesting because I feel like there are elements in both of them that I identify with a lot. But like, Like, Vati's a nerd, and she's, like, out here getting, like, hands-on studying experience. And then Sixth is a very um, antisocial person. He's very quiet, introspective. And and so, like, for me, I would not be the kind of person who'd go get hands-on experience on this island. That's something you would do. That is something I would do. (laughs) I would love to read about it and learn about it. Yeah. But like with sixth, I'm absolutely the kind of person who's like, okay, being by myself and, and kind of living in my own head a little bit. So, but I, I also feel like I'm nowhere near as like grumpy and antisocial as he is. Well, when you (laughs) don't spend time with people. Yeah. And, and I can, I can relate when I'm alone for multiple days. (laughs) And then you have to talk. It's like, no. 
In fact, sign language is much better. <laughs> yeah. Much better than talking. That's funny. <laughs> I wish he'd known some. <laughs> Sixth? Yeah, avoid yeah. the talking. <laughs> yeah. I think he'd I think he'd like it. It's like I feel like he did a really good job of making both of these characters feel fully realized in a short space. Like that's one of the most difficult aspects of writing short fiction. Now, granted, this is a novella. It's, I I think this is like an 18,000 word novella. Um, So yeah, like on the shorter end of novella, but decent, decent word count. Um, But like when you compare that with your average, you know, Cosmere novel, which is, you know, going to be more like 200,000 or if it's a Stormlight book, 400,000 words. That's so much more room to build characters and establish personality and motivations and hopes and dreams and fears. And and so in a limited space in a novella, and especially when you get into real short stories where you're writing a, you know, two to 5,000 word short story or something, that's a real skill, uh, one of the most difficult aspects of it. But when you get it down, you can write really powerful stories because you don't have room for any fat. You don't have room for any bloat. It's got to be what is the important thing happening to this person right now? And what are they going to do about it? You boil down to the bare essence of a story. And to an extent, that's what he does here. Honestly, I, I really hadn't thought about it until you mentioned earlier voice. Yeah. His voice is very strong. Yeah. Oh, it, it's all over the story. Uh, it, it's not something that I really think about too much with Brandon Sanderson. Like he does, you know, he does the limited third person point of view uh, in the vast majority of his books. Um, but and and he and he does a what I would say more like a filter rather than a voice. Um, where certain characters will notice different things or have different attitudes. Uh, but it doesn't like subsume the narrative when you change a point of view. Uh, the way, again, with Glenn Cook, depending on who's writing the book in The Black Company, it's a totally different voice. It's a different writing style. And, but in this story, I think that voice comes forward a little more. And it's because so much of it. Uh, is driven by the internal aspect of him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get to spend time on dialogue, so sixth voice has to be present in the narration. Yeah. Yeah. I just... Like, I feel like we could read another story where we don't know who our POV character is, and if it were sixth, I could tell. Yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah, it's that strong. Is mm-hmm. what I'm. What is I'm trying to say? Yeah, for but. sure. Yeah, and then Vathi. So yeah, I mean, we already kind of said Vathi is very like you. <laughs> <laughs> she's a nerd, but she's also an adventurous nerd. Well, yeah, honestly, it it surprised me how high up she was in this company. Like clearly, she's an authority. Yeah. And I didn't expect that because A, we're told that she's young and inexperienced. 
uh, uh, but our point of view of, of her inexperience is all from sixth. Yeah. You know, like he sees her as like a child. And, but he is continually surprised by her competence. Yes. She's not perfect, obviously. There are still mistakes she makes, and he does not hesitate to point them out yes. because the stakes are so high. But there are multiple points where he realizes that she is more capable than he was expecting and even than he was maybe prepared to admit. Like, from the get-go, he assumes that she's like... A baby chick that he needs to shelter and put back in her nest and yeah. make sure that she stays there. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously she proves him wrong at a couple key points. I don't know. It's, it's, it would be fun to get more of a background on her. Yeah. Just um. because she has some surprises in store for us. I feel like I'm less interested in her background than I am in her future. And I am excited that there is going to be a sequel to this story. Um, for, for sure. For people who are not aware, um, Brandon has already started writing it. In fact, for the Rhythm of War release event, uh, this was in 2020, so there was no release party and signing and everything. They just did some online things. But part of the online event was a reading from the sequel to Sixth of the Dusk. And it is very interesting. Uh, uh, is it another novella? Uh, I mean, he hasn't written the whole thing. I think he's planning on it being another novella, not, not a full-blown novel. But, uh, but it is, you know, this story takes place very far in the future of the Cosmere. Um, and this may be kind of the segue to talking about some Cosmere things, but uh, the sequel especially becomes more Cosmere aware. And so he doesn't want to full on like commit to writing that and releasing it now. He wants to do that a little further down the line because it would spoil things for, you know, later, later Cosmere entries. Uh, but the reading that he did, uh, you can find it on Arcanum. Uh, the Coppermind interview database from 17th Shard. Uh, it is fascinating. There is there is definitely some stuff that you'll recognize from other uh, Cosmere series. Uh, some things that have potentially pretty scary implications about the state of the future of the Cosmere. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And I... I can't remember if Vathi is in that reading that he did, but I kind of think she's mentioned. It's been a, obviously it's been a couple of years and I only, you know, I listened to him do the reading, but I haven't gone back and reread, you know, the transcription or listened to it again. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. As far as the Cosmere things go, uh, I don't think we're going to get into like too much plot spoilers for other stories um, the main Cosmere um, relevance for this story is around Pat G. Uh, there's Pat G's Eye, the lake that they go to um, on the island, which is a perpendicularity. It is a shard pool, so to speak, um, like we see in Elantris and Mistborn. Um, it is a 
the sign of a tremendous amount of investiture that has collected and congealed and provide you know provides a uh, essentially a conduit between the realms. Uh, even though there is no shard on first of the sun in Arcanum Unbounded, which is uh, you can you can get six of the dusk as a standalone. Uh, but it was also, of course, released in Arcane Unbounded, which is the Cosmere short fiction collection, and it includes uh, essays on the different systems and planets that these stories take place on, written by Chris, who is a, a character from White Sand. She writes the Ars Arcanum at the end of every novel, uh, but she talks about how it's noteworthy that there is a perpendicularity hit uh, on first of the sun, despite there not being a shard. So that's some interesting stuff. Yeah. So I definitely saw the effects with some of the things that happen in this story. Like we have a random patchy fingers bloom when they desperately need it. No other bloom on the trees. Oh, blooming. you're thinking there's like direct shardic intervention in the story? I don't think it's conscience. Conscious. I think it's um investiture acting on its own, like we see when big pieces are left behind. Ooh. Uh that's actually a really good point I hadn't considered before, especially because we know that Pat G um is an avatar of autonomy. That autonomy herself is not invested on First of the Sun, but Avatar, but Patchy is an Avatar and is presumably a chunk, involves this massive chunk of investiture that has formed the shard pool. And if there is a cognitive aspect that's been shaped by the worship of the Pantheon, there could be some, you know, reciprocity. 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 Wow. I am. <laughs> I totally mangled that. Thank you, Lauren. I just like forgot the word midway through saying it. Um, <laughs> reciprocity. Dang it. No, I, I still can't. <laughs> reciprocity. Thank you. Okay. So I'm going to tie this in. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go. Okay. So what are the trappers? if not perfect entities of oh, autonomy. autonomy. Oh, 100%. And specifically the ones around Patchy. Mm -hmm. Like you, so we hear Six of the Dusk constantly talking about like talking to Patchy. Yes. And talking about Patchy as an entity. Mm -hmm. And we just assume. That it's not. That it's yeah. based on like cultural. Yeah. You know. But once you have the context of the Stormlight Archive, the letter in Oathbringer, you know there's more to it than than just a you know a local tradition or you know myth. That there is something real happening here on a shardic level. Yeah. Yeah, and on top of that, like how we end this book has a lot to do with developed autonomy. He mm -hmm. points it out. Like, Dusk mm -hmm. actually writes it out for us, where he's like, okay, 
these people, they have not had to deal with the difficulties that we have. How are they in their coddled state going to, like, win this battle? Well, like, and, we have and had there's to the second layer that he even talks about where the, you know, the mainlanders are to the trappers as the ones above are to everybody on First yes. of the Sun. Yeah, yeah. Where there's manipulation going on and they need to find a way to act for themselves to avoid being ruined. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. It's really good. And and I like that he had to develop here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like because it just goes to show the incredible level of planning that Brandon has. That this was a, a a relatively random story. You know, it was something that he did uh, for the writing excuses anthology. You yeah, know? yeah, and uh, and he tied it back to the greater Cosmere story in such an important way. Yeah, he said his original outline wasn't specifically Cosmere, um, but he liked the idea of using symbiosis in a new way for Cosmere Investiture. Yeah, which is awesome. I would love to see more, yeah. <laughs> more themes like that. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, yeah, he says Polynesian culture. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which is also exemplified in um, Alcatraz and Horn Eater culture. Okay. I, I've only read the first Alcatraz book, and that was a long, long time ago, like well over a decade ago. So maybe not well over a decade. It was probably around a decade ago. But yeah. Um. I don't think I have any more to talk about with the story itself. Uh, do you? I mean, I could talk for a long time about the story. Itself. <laughs> <laughs> we have psychic creatures. <laughs> and lots of them. And super valuable AVRs who are popping up all over the Cosmere. Yeah, that's true. We Well, I don't know about all over, but we have seen AVR appear okay, in, well, in one other series. One fine I assume that anybody who can get their hands on an AVR is running around. Well, the now that we know, um, you know, the the big secret that's revealed uh, with Sack is that you know if you bring a non AVR bird to the island and it eats and and lives there and develops this symbiosis with the parasites. It will develop a new power, not necessarily like just the same abilities the regular native AVR impart. So like if you if you can brave the island and you can bring an animal there to eat the fruit, like you could and it could even be, you know, maybe not birds. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You could have some really interesting uh I mean I did animals running around the Cosmere giving interesting uh you know powers and abilities to the people they hang out with. Yeah, but what about people? That would be that would be very interesting. I was thinking about it as I was going through this book again. Like what would happen if trappers ate the fruit yeah 
Hmm. That could be something that we see in the future. Mm-hmm. That might be a good question to ask Brandon. We are going to be seeing him this weekend. I wonder yeah. if he's been asked already. I don't think so. I'd have to look that up on Arcanum, but I don't I don't think I've ever seen a question like that. Because, I mean, I also don't want it to be something exasperating where it's like, he has to think all the time about things that people come up with that he's like, hold on, let me think about it. If I combine what magic with what magic? Hmm. If you eat an AVR, somebody asked if you eat an AVR, what would happen? And Brandon said you would not gain power. But that's a different question from eating yeah, the... Yeah, why, why not ask the base question? Yeah. I don't think anybody's asked this before. I'm not finding this. Hmm. And are you then connected to autonomy? Again, that's probably a question for Brandon. But. Okay, fair. Yeah. Well, uh, I think probably wrap it up and do final draft here, yeah? Okay, okay, fine. I love the developing relationship between Sixth and Vothi. Okay. Yeah. And especially that ending scene. Yeah, the ending scene is really strong. Where he goes back over like the speech that he gave her. Uh-huh. This is the symbol of your ignorance. Nothing is easy. Nothing is simple. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, she's like, you know, we found all this information that they left and you're what you told me made me realize this is a trap. Yeah. Remind me, do we know exactly who the ones above are? Yeah. We do not. We do not know who exactly the ones above are. Okay, and if they are above, did they use maybe technology spaceship? Yes, technology? they yes. We they we did. have confirmation. Yes. There's this is space era cosmic. Yeah. Okay, okay. Just making sure that mm-hmm. it's not some trick of like. No, this is space era cosmic. The only perpendicularity on the planet is on Pagi, and people obviously aren't uh, regularly trafficking through there. I mean, Hoyt could do it. Um, I mean, if we're going to Cosmere, you know, spoilers from other things, Pagi was specifically set up to be a challenge to Hoyt. Do you not remember that from the letter? No, I didn't remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come come to my island. Yeah, come it's like, find my... me in these waves if you can. You know, we've set up defenses. We've set up challenges and obstacles. Yeah, okay. I do remember. Yeah. So. Okay. Fine, fine. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the beer you're drinking. Okay, so... Because it's ridiculous. <laughs> Okay, so multiple points in this book. Um, we have frustration from Six of the Dusk about 
they always have to ask why. And he regrets his own why because he blames his curiosity for the death of his uncle. Mm -hmm. Which is really sad. And so I, I picked a beer that kind of reflects that both in in Vathi and in Dusk. So, so this beer is 5.3%. It smells ridiculous. It smells very strong. And I'll tell you what's what I mean by strong in a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this beer is a sour ale with strawberry grape uh puree what color is this? I don't even remember. Oh, I guess it's kind of a yellow color, but... Okay. <laughs> so, so this beer tastes like nerds. Yeah. It's from Weldworks. And it's called The Nerdy Professor. It, it, it truly smells like nerds. It is so strong. Like, Lauren is drinking this directly out of the can, so not great, like, aeration for this. And I'm getting whiffs of it from feet away from the open can. It is so strong. Also, my teeth feel like I'm eating nerds. A little sugary. Yes. (laughs) It feels like I just dissolved a a bunch of them in a drink. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that not what they did? Did they not put nerds in it? Oh, we absolutely did put yeah, nerds in it. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I ate handfuls of nerds that day because we had extras. <laughs> dangerous, wow. dangerous wow. having candy around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so this goes out to Bothy and Sixth. For both being nerdy in their own both ways. Both being nerds. Yeah. And nice. it's a good thing. Very nice. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. It's a shorter one this week, but that's okay, because next up, we are heading into some longer episodes. We are doing uh, The Lost Metal, the final book in Mistborn Era 2. We're going to have some fun special guests on for those, so keep your eyes peeled. We are going to have a spoiler-free review of The Lost Metal on Tuesday for release day. And our part one episode will follow along next Sunday in the regularly scheduled release slot. Uh, That will cover parts one and two of The Lost Metal. So yeah, got some exciting things coming up. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my wonderful wife, Lauren. Cheers! Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.